Welcome to the first episode of Fully Filled. It is your host, Luke and Melissa. We are so excited to get this started. Today's topic is all about that word. You guessed it, love, love. Melissa, before we get started, did you want to share a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am a teacher and I teach English as a second language to students in Asia and I love them dearly. Um, it's not the easiest job. We're one-on-one and over the internet, so it can definitely be challenging and the hours are oof, very difficult, but when you- Are they, them, are they overnight? They are overnight. Graveyard teacher here. Yes. Wow. So tiring, but when you have a passion for you know children and helping them learn it, it makes it a little bit easier just shifting your mindset around it. And so for me, it's been rewarding as much as it's been challenging and tiring, but right. the day, it's all good. How about that you? That is really cool. What do, you I, what do I do? I am actually on the pastoral team at a church based in Seattle, Washington. There's a campus in LA and we've just recently went global. So we have communities all over the world and I absolutely love it. And I want to do it the rest of my life. Amazing. All right. So we're going to talk about the four Greek words for love. The four Greek words for love. First of all, what's, what's really cool about the Greek words for love is there's so many words for love, right? In the English language, we only have one. We got one word for love. So I love pizza is the same thing as saying you love your significant others and that can cause some conflict. And it's frustrating to me. And honestly gives me a little bit of anxiety so yeah Yeah. pretty funny but yeah there's and the reason uh, a lot of times we study greek uh when it comes to the bible is because the new testament the original language that the new testament was written in is greek i have to say i will 100 percent get on board with your dad and his comment to you when you told us about (laughs) his love situation yes you speak to exactly the reason why it is frustrating that we have one word for love should i I share that yeah you need to i was like yes so funny so accurate too so basically what happened was i was on the phone i was visiting home and i was on the phone with my friend right and i was talking to him we had had a a good conversation or whatever and we were uh saying bye to each other and usually with my friends i just say hey love you love you and um friend said love you right and my dad overhears this conversation and he asked me after i hang up the phone he's like you you tell your friends you love them i'm like yeah i love my friends um and he says that doesn't make it as special when you say you love me and i'm like yeah i mean that's a good point but but pop like it's it's a different form of love but i was unable to express that because we have one word for love but what was so what was so funny is the next couple of weeks right when i would tell my dad hey love you 
he just wouldn't reply. He wouldn't say, <laughs> he wouldn't say I love you back because it didn't mean anything, right? So funny, but speaks on, speaks on why it's frustrating that we have one word for love. And, and the Greeks knew this, right? And so there's actually seven to eight, I believe, words for love in the Greek. But we're going to be hitting on the, the fain, four main ones. Just storge, philia, eros, and agape. Should we get into it? Explain to me. Storge. 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 And we won't go so far into depth because you can even explain how it feels right um levels to to each love but storge is essentially um the love you have for your family so this would be something i would have used for my dad right mm -hmm. storge love it's it's a it's a love you have for your parents it's a love you have for your brother or sister or your kids storge love it's family love and then we have filiae filiae or the verb form filio correction actually the verb form is pronounced phileo not filio so every time i say that in this podcast please correct it to phileo and that is friendship love friendship love we see this in the bible we see that it's relationally it's love of the heart um there's levels of filio love right anyway anywhere from beginning levels of co-workers or acquaintances to the deepest form of, of filial, filial love, a friend that you have a deep connection with, right? And the deepest form of filial love would be a friend that you have and say you moved away. I have friends that live in New Mexico and I moved to Washington and we move away and I come back to visit and it feels like we never left each other right? It, that is the deepest form of filial love. And that's not just moving away and coming back. It's like, it could be years that you haven't spoken yeah. between each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's a deep yeah. form of filial love. Yeah. Great. And the next one, Eros. 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 Don't we, aren't we all familiar with Eros love? It's it's passionate or, or even describes it as sexual love. It's love you feel um, for your significant other, your significant other, right? Um, Good correction. <laughs> yeah, great correction. Wow. Anyways, um, right? It's, it's that love you feel for your significant other. And this, right, if it's not used in the right context, can, can lead to a lot of pain and it can it can literally drive your life. You can follow Eros love and it can be a sense of wanting fulfillment in a person and um, in which it's not going to fill you and it's, it's conditional and some pain can be had with Eros love. Beautiful thing. Believe God created it, but it's, it's right in the, in the right context. Here's my question for you. Talk about it being potentially described as sexual love now do you say that there is you know the idea behind saving yourself for marriage to avoid that type of passion and like hurt and confusion yeah. right yeah that's a good that's a good point i think there's there's other ways of kind of um 
explaining why why that's best for us to wait as well but this is one of those ways is the eros love can lead to confusion it can lead to pain if if it's not in the right context all right and now on to your favorite and the only one that we'll speak about that is unconditional is agape love agape love yeah just like you said the big distinguisher is the unconditional nature of agape love right it's not based off performance it's gracious and it's sacrificial it's actually not even based off feeling it's based off of choice right and it's not it's not right you do and then you receive love an example of it would be like us right doing something for somebody without expecting something in return agape love and you see right in first john 4 8 and you see in first john 4 16 that god is love and when you study that word love that's used there it's agape god is the personified the embodiment of agape love and we'll see in the parable we're about to read um, that this is displayed through God's action and agape love for humanity, for his children. Amazing. So good. And that parable you speak about is? That parable we are going to talk about and, and read is in Luke chapter 15, and it is called The Prodigal Son. A little bit of context for this parable. This was written and prompted by um, the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day, and the scribes, which were the teachers of the law, being enraged and super upset that Jesus was hanging out and eating with notorious sinners and tax collectors. And tax collectors, their profession of the day was, was known as corrupt greedy, sinful. They took advantage and overtaxed Jews all for themselves. So out of this, Jesus writes these three parables, the first being uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the second being the parable of the lost coin, and then the one we are hitting on the prodigal son story. Before we get started, I want to hit on four words that are oftentimes thrown around when we're talking about what we receive from God through Jesus Christ. And the first one we want to speak about is going to be grace. Yes, grace, which is oftentimes thrown around a lot. So grace is receiving what we don't deserve. And grace is fully displayed in a person, in in that person's Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And the next one would be mercy. Mercy. Mercy is defined as not receiving what we do deserve justification justification is when we place our our faith in jesus god looks at us just as if we were sin because jesus has covered our sin so he looks at when he looks at us he sees jesus and not our sin we are justified and the last one righteousness righteousness right standing with god which is only 
achieved through faith in Jesus Christ, because sin separates us from God. Hence why God ran towards us and gave Jesus so that he could solve the sin problem. So when we place our faith in Jesus, we're made right with God forever because he covers our sin. So let's start at the beginning of the prodigal son story. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, the younger son came to his father and said, father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was famished. He was hungry. He was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want and plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the younger son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you are home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and let's celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out working in the field when he, his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So we called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's thrown a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back to, after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you're always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate 
this and be overjoyed, because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. Amazing. And so what we know here is that agape love is seen through the father to his younger son. Yes. Yes, we see that in, in the, the parable. And it's, it's so obvious, right? And the two sons, right, we can relate to um, as humans. And, and God's, the, God's the father in the story. The agape love that we see there is when the son comes back after wasting all the inheritance and hard work that his father gained on reckless living and wild living. He comes back and as he's on the hill, right, that he's, he's coming down the hill um, to come back home, his father sees him from a long way away. Now, what this says is the father was consistently waiting for his son to come home. He was on the porch waiting to see his son come home. And not only does he just sit, he doesn't sit there like this and say, how dare you do what you did, right? He gets up and he runs towards him. He runs towards him and doesn't even let him finish his speech that, that he had prepared. In fact, he hugs him. He kisses him, which signifies forgiveness in the Bible. And what we see is he puts his best robe on him. He puts a ring of sonship on him and he puts sandals on him and he celebrates and has a party for his son that's come home. And that's, that's agape love because that's unconditional. A conditional love would tell the son, sit down over here, watch us dance, watch us party, watch us eat. And maybe after a couple of years when, you, when you're a slave for me, when you're, when you're an employee, maybe I'll give you some love, right? You need to earn that. You need to earn the love from me, Not only right? We don't see this. It's the forgiveness I feel like that we constantly are striving for here on earth with other people. Right. It's the, you know, there's always a condition to what's happening. Um, we see yeah. that quite often. And when we repent to God and we come back to him and we, you know, we, we give ourselves and, you know, show sorrow for our sins god's been there the whole time waiting for us no matter what we've done i like that i like that a lot melissa like what you mentioned first when you said you know we're so used to conditional relationships here on earth right the do good get good do bad get bad and the thing is these conditional things to where we think it's do good and get good we bring this mindset into a relationship with God and it's simply just not how it, how it works it's not do good get good it's not do bad get bad it's we did bad and we get good right. it's the good right. news that's the gospel right well, it's not only do bad get good but it's also do good and get good right right that can get mixed up um but what you said before too right when you said you know when we repent and and we come to God and, and uh, 
we need to realize he's always there for us. I agree. But I think, I think there's been a lot of harm when we, we focus so much on the younger son and what he did to, to receive the father's unconditional love, right? He came to his senses after he was, he was feeding the pigs and he was working for um, the farmer and he had lost all of his money. He came to his senses. But if you look into the story, the dude was just hungry and he wanted employment and he, he walks his way home. And can you imagine being in that son's situation to where he thinks that he's going to be taken in as a servant and all this happens to him, right? All this happens to him. It's amazing. And it's such a good representation of God's agape love for humanity. I would say that when we're ready to surrender, right? When you're ready to surrender and just give it all up and just go as low as you need to go to just get something to feel like you, right? Like, I, yeah. I mean, that's just the idea of surrender to me. Like the, the son was like, all right, I just have to surrender to my father and I have to, you know, go back and, you know, apologize and just be ready to go for as, as low as I need to go just to, you know, gain some type of, you know, stability. Right. And so surrendering would be in my mind, what that son has done. And then, you know, the father, like God does, he gives us more than what we, we ask for a lot of times, you know, and sometimes we're not able to surrender enough to recognize that. I know that I've experienced that where I'm, I have my mindset on what I think I need or what I want. And, you know, God navigates me into a different direction and I get upset, but then I don't realize like how good it is that, you know, I am where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're speaking to uh, the repentance of the younger son, right? You're speaking to repentance, which, which, um, like I said, if you focus more on that than the love of the father, it can cause some damage. It can cause some damage. I don't understand why that causes damage. Because the word repent has been used in an incorrect uh, way. So here's like an incorrect way. So when we hear repent, we oftentimes hear the, the street corner, um, guy or, or, or woman that has the sign that says repent or you're going to hell. I right. Not hear that. <laughs> what? I said well, well, yeah, I think everyone has a different um, interpretation on it based on their past, but I'm talking damage that's been done within the church, right? Um, yeah, when Jesus comes, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. But we pa pastors and, and people talking about Jesus have thought that Jesus's way of saying repent is like, repent, repent, right? a shameful condemning way of saying repent when 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 his character uh portrays a way that he would say it like repent repent and repent is a beautiful thing right it's turning it's considering changing your worldview changing what you think about god and what you think about sin yeah. now 
right? That leads into that leads into Romans two that says it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's his patience. It's his self-control that leads the human being to repentance. Now the street corner guy with the, the, the sign, I don't see much kindness in that. I don't see much self-control or patience, right? The person speaking, repent, repent. I don't see that character. So that's all I'm trying to say. I hear you. Now I right. understand. It's just his yep. kindness and his patience and his gentleness with us and his love, his unconditional love that essentially brings us back to him. Yeah, yeah. When someone's nice and kind, you tend to want to be around them more and you want to, you know, spend more time and learn from that. And I think, you yeah. know, that's what we do here with Jesus. Yeah, and that, that speaks so much, uh, Melissa, to why notorious sinners and tax collectors would sit there and listen to Jesus and just want to be there and listen, right? Do you think they wanted to be there and listen uh, because Jesus was shaming them or condemning them? They're like, no, this dude's different. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something different about him. He's He carries himself with kindness, authority, patience, gentleness, right? goodness like something is different about that and it kind of speaks so much to the way our churches should be today or how our we churches should be. say how that most how we should be today how we should carry how we should be. And, you know interact exactly. with each other. yeah yeah how we should be today and how we should open have our doors open to whomever it may be right and not judge people's sins Right, God's the only one who's able and and he's able to judge a person's sin or shame a person or condemn a person. And guess what he chooses to do? He chooses to be kind and patient and and act out of self-control and not he's not quick to anger. That's how he chooses to do it, even when he could condemn or shame or judge. Who are we as humans, mere humans, to think that we can we can condemn people or shame people if God doesn't even operate that way, you know? Sure, yeah. And that's an example, I would say, of the older son and how he was acting. Yeah, yeah. So that older son, that's great, Melissa. Um, that older son was, was Jesus speaking to those scribes and Pharisees that I was saying uh, we were talking about before. The ones that think righteousness right standing with God comes from works, comes from works, earning right standing with God, earning salvation, earning, um, right, that glory of God. And he's speaking to them saying, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And we're all guilty. Like we fall into that. I can't say like, I've never been that older son. I've been that way. I thought that's the way a relationship with, with God was for the majority of my life. And that that's what made it so resistible to me because I knew I could never be good enough. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's such a great point. Also, I would say though, that that goodness and that righteousness eventually comes naturally to us as we feel the relief of knowing that that's not what 
you know, drives God's love towards us. Right. So like God automatically loves me, but at the same time, like I'm learning his word and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking with him daily and that continues to, you know, change and transform me. Um, and I think over time, I, I eventually start to see those good things um, and how I interact and how I act daily. Right. Right. It's like out of that realization that you don't have to earn or be a certain person to be in right standing with God brings freedom. And it actually changes your desires in a way to want to please him as as crazy and almost paradoxical as that is. It makes you want and desire to please him. And and that's the Holy Spirit in you right? That's the Holy Spirit in you. And I think, you know, a recent statistic I, I, I heard from the largest longitudinal study of spiritual growth and development in the modern day church, 70% of people that are not following Jesus think that a life with Jesus is, is, is what the, the older son is doing here. You have to earn right standing with God. You have to work to a point that that you're going to be right and, and earn your way into heaven. There's 32% of people that are actively following Jesus that still think this is the way that a relationship with God works. And so it tells us how we should spend most of our time. 70% of the time we should be talking about the gospel and the good news of not having to earn right standing with God right? Through his grace, through faith. Very good point. Yeah. And recognizing that when we do sin and we make a mistake that we're not being judged by him and we're forgiven immediately and that we just need to continue to, you know, work on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good point too, Melissa, because it's like um, a misconception is right. When you accept Jesus, you'll never sin again. No, you just realize, you realize um, that, that you're not perfect is what you realize and that you'll continue to sin. And we, we all go through things and we have trauma that we deal with and we sin with different, that um, we sin in different areas, right? And we're unique in that way. And we don't judge people for that. But the thing is, when you're stuck in, in a cycle or, or whatever it may be, when you feel like you're sinning repetitively, we oftentimes as human humans think shame, uh, shameful thoughts toward that, right? Guilt thoughts. And, and what we know is that never leads to change. That never leads to change, right? Um, and we know from Romans 8 that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So what leads to change then? Do we just keep sinning? Well, what leads to change is looking at your source, looking at his unconditional love for you. I, like I'd encourage you in the midst of your sin to say, I'm, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am in right standing with God because of Jesus Christ. And, the, and what that does, right, is it takes the power of sin away from the situation. It takes the condemnation, the shame. And I'm not saying poof, you'll never sin in that area again. But that leads to change and you'll pick your head up from looking at his love repetitively and you'll be like, whoa, my desires are changed. I 
don't really want to participate in that anymore. And it's this natural, peaceful, gentle, and patient way that God works through the Holy Spirit in us to change us. Not only that, but I think that it allows us to also learn to be gentle and patient with ourselves. Mm. When we're yeah, and others, right? Shameful, and we're continuing to sin. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times we're so hard on ourselves, and it makes it that much harder to change. Um, and right. when we become humble to the idea that no matter what, God's going to always love us and be there for us, that you know we need to do the same for ourselves and others. Yes. Yes. Uh, man, that's so good. Um, it reminds me of, of a verse in 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, right? So he's the source. When we see what he's done for us, a response is wanting to do that with others. So repetitive action of looking at his love his unconditional undeserved love a response is loving others we have to remember our source we have to remember what enables us to do that but we also have to remember that it is a daily practice it's yeah something that changes automatically you know it's a daily practice. yeah, yeah a daily practice of looking at your standing with God, which is he's well pleased with you. He's looking at you with approval, a smile with arms wide open, baby, ready to give you his unconditional love. So daily, yeah, we're to, we'll look at that. And it's refreshing daily. It's not like this hard work. I have to work hard for God. It's like, look at his love. Look at his love, right? Repetitive, his agape love for you. And watch how that changes you. I think, um, you know, a, a cheat code, a key to reading scripture is to look for Jesus in every single thing you read in the Bible. Because it all points to him. It all points to the son. Jesus, right? Now, if we look at the prodigal son's story, where where's Jesus in this story where's jesus in the story right we see this right how is the son able to be uh, accepted by his father like this unconditionally there's only one way because what we know is sin it separates us from god and god knew this so he ran after us after us and how he ran after us is sending his son he saw this sin problem that separated us from from him so he sends his son into the earth to die for us on the cross he lived a perfect life he was sinless and he died as a sacrifice for all of our sin so now when God, when you accept that by grace through faith believing in Jesus you're made right with him forever you're forgiven for your past present and future sin so when God looks at you, right, like how the father looked at the younger son, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees Jesus because your sin is covered. So this is what enables that father to look at his son and accept him the way that he did. 
because sin no longer separates the younger son from the father. Right? Very well said. It really makes sense why that older son acted with the way he did. Like when the younger son came back and the father was throwing him this feast. Like, I know I've definitely been in situations where I feel like I have deserved something that someone else is getting. Yeah. I think that's so important to to realize in the story that it's so normal for the older son to feel that way. Like imagine yourself in that scenario where this brother of yours, while you've been obedient the whole time, doing what your father wanted you to do, and never really stumbled that much, right? You never really did anything wrong. And then this, your younger brother goes out and spins all the inheritance, all the hard work that your father has, has worked for on prostitutes and reckless living. And he comes home and gets thrown a feast and a party's happening. Like it makes sense why the older son is upset. I think we can all realize that. Um, so I agree with you, you know? Yeah, and I, I mean, what this really represents is the way it's distinguishing the way a woman or a man naturally thinks, like we're speaking on here, and the way God thinks, right? A relationship with God does not work this way. As we see, God told the older son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Let's celebrate right? Your, your younger brother has come home. And he's alive again, right? This speaks to there's not an amount of work that you can do to make yourself right with God. They, God shows, you know, God shows no favoritism. We see that in Romans 2. He says, I show no, uh, Paul says, he shows no favoritism, right? And why is this? Because we have all sinned, Romans 3, we have all sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we're all on a level playing field. So just because you're obedient and you're doing what God wants you to do, doesn't mean you're better than the person that's been off living recklessly and comes home and is received with unconditional love from the father, right? You're not better than him. There's no favoritism. So that's what enables you that understanding, right? How God thinks versus man and woman understand uh gives you an understanding and enables you to join the party realizing that there's nothing we can do to earn it the idea of like not striving for everything right like allow god to guide guide us and you know you had mentioned this that you know god's doing a lot more for us than we actually think and we don't have to do as much as sometimes we feel we need to do to achieve trying to achieve yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think it, I mean, it, it speaks to us not taking credit for what God's doing in our life. So also a lot of times opinions that can come out of uh, a perspective of the older son, right, is, is, yeah, like, Luke, I get that you don't have to earn right standing with God. I get that you don't have to earn salvation. But what about after, right? If you're a disciple of Christ, you got to work hard. That takes discipline. That takes work. It's hard work to be a disciple. Now, you know, 
we see that Paul said the same thing, right? Paul said, I worked harder than, than them all. But we forget the second part, the second part that Paul says there. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me, right? What we do when we're following Jesus, I think we just got to really realize how much God is involved in that in the Holy Spirit and how, how much we aren't as much. God is so involved in, in the energy he gives you, the, the want to do certain things, the um, hard work that is displayed at times through disciples. It's a lot more God than we think. So, so out of this, we can, we can um, find ways that this helps us in different career paths. In, in different areas that in avenues that we're in in life, whether, right, like we said in the previous um, intro video, um, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a real estate agent, you're in the music industry, you're a nurse, this source of agape love from, from God for you will enable you in your career path to, to do amazing things and not for the sake of yourself, or for the career, but to glorify your father. Right. Right. All we do every day is to represent him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all out of that love because I think, right, what we can do, um, and I'm so guilty of this, I've seen this in my life before, is make our career, whatever we're chasing, the foundation of our life. And a cherry on top is God. God's the cherry on top um, behind the career. But I'm persuaded it has to be the opposite way. God is our foundation, right? And he's our source. He's where we get our agape love and our fully um, filled selves, right? Our, we're fully filled from that. And this is what enables us to go into our career path and, and live the way he wants us to live, right? So it's the foundational um, the foundation of it is God and the chariot on top that comes with that, which is awesome and beautiful is your career. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that. In what way would you like to explain? How I've, you know, prayed to God for the things I wanted and what I felt were the paths and the, things that I needed to do versus listening to him and having him guide me. Right. Like I've always, you know, created in my own mind, like what I needed to do and achieve and how I was going to get there, um, you know, and praying to God along the way, but not necessarily using him to, you know, be that base for me. So when everything was taken away from me, I, I had no identity anymore. I didn't know what I was, what I was to mm-hmm. do or who I was. And I would say that has, you know, happened to me, you know, just from like my collegiate sports um, path. And then also in career, I've gone through different career paths and, you know, ultimately I've landed as a teacher, which was never in my mind as something that I was going to do. Um, But I see that doors continue to open to teach. And although I, you know, at times get frustrated and I you know, want to get out of it, you know, I have to just recognize that I'm here to serve 
my students and to love them and to provide an environment that's going to allow them to be successful in what you know, they need um, and not what I need. So I think that. Yeah. Man, I like, I like that a lot because I think we're all so guilty of that. And we've experienced that to where we put something, all of ourselves into something and it's, it's fallen or it's faded away and it breaks us. It breaks us because our foundation was on. And it's like, it speaks to those, those loves, right? Because Storge, Filio and, and Eros, right? They don't fully fill you. You are not fully filled from those loves, right? It's almost a fake sense of fulfillment. Not that these loves are bad. I believe God created these loves, but it's a false sense of fulfillment. Agape love is what enables you to be fully filled. This unconditional love, right? We're always like, like you said, we're chasing the next thing, right? Waiting for the next thing, right? Let's say hypothetically, this is your greatest desire to have a wife or a husband, right? I need that person. I need that person. You're chasing Eros love. You're chasing it, right? And you get it and it feels good. It's intoxicating. And then it fades a bit. Not that you're falling out of love with your partner, but that honeymoon stage fades, right? And guess, guess where our minds go? What's next? Got to follow something next, right? Materialistic things. That's a form of love. You're being controlled by love everywhere in your life. And what we find is when the, you have the ultimate source of love, agape, you're fully filled and you're not living this life of always chasing, looking for the next thing, thinking that's what's going to fulfill you. Because the people at the top tell us, the ones, that, the ones that are super successful, won all the championships, music artists, whatever it may be, right? They say, I'm not filled. I'm not content. It's, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And I believe that pit is Jesus Christ. And I believe that's God. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. There's been so many times where you just feel empty because you don't actually have what you think you have and yeah being able to stay in communication with God and feeling his love day in and day out and knowing that he's always there through the good times and the bad it gives you something to continue to look back to or to look up to yes absolutely and like you said it is daily com completely daily right continuously needing to look at his love we love because he he loved us that's like gasoline to these other forms of love right we we spoke about this recently when you get filled with that source that agape love of god that unconditional love it enables you to love in your eros relationships your storge and in your filio relationships in a way to where you give out love and if it's not reciprocated if it's not given back it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't destroy you. Right. And that's how, you know, you shine in areas. That's why you, that's how you're light in areas and you're salt. Like the scripture says to the earth, people go, you don't even need to wear a shirt that says I'm on fire for Jesus. Right. We don't need to do that. It's seen and displayed 
in our lives because of this. And people go, what is different about that person? That's attractive. Hey guys, we're so glad that you guys could tune into episode one. We want to give you this song of the episode. The song of the episode is what we feel matches what we said. And that is displayed in a song. And that song is called Closer by Maverick City Music. One of my personal favorites. And also want to let you guys know episode two will be coming soon. And we are going to have an amazing guest on. A leader, a father, a husband, a singer. Someone who's super passionate about what they do. Stay tuned. And we hope you guys have a great week.